0: It's the Blockchain Podcast, and I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Bill Stebbins, and it's the 28th of June, 2023. We're going to talk the flaccid Ukrainian counteroffensive, bribes in high places, and Blockchain Voting. So the month of June is almost over. And we'll start off this podcast by looking at the price of Bitcoin. It's at $30,336 per Bitcoin. And that's just recently coming off a one-year high, so it's doing quite well. Um, Some of that may be because uh, the large financial investment institutions just keep coming. I talked earlier about how BlackRock had filed for a spot Bitcoin ETF. Uh, Vanguard did as well a number of others, and then just recently, uh, Fidelity now has jumped on board, and they're filing for a spot Bitcoin ETF as well. So certainly, when these big financial institutions decide to invest in Bitcoin, well, you know one thing, it's not a fad. There's apparently something there that has caused them great interest, and is causing them to determine to get on board. And I would offer that this is going to change the Bitcoin space in some way, shape, or form. Uh, These big institutions have the ear of Washington, specifically the regulators in Washington. And so there there are many theories out there as to uh, what this could do for the Bitcoin space. Uh, we'll save that for another episode. But let's for now turn to the topic of war. Let's go to Ukraine, and it's the 490th day of the invasion of Russia into Ukraine. 490 days. No end in sight. The war of attrition continues. The war that's looking more and more like a World War I-era conflict, with trenches and a lack of movement, a lack of maneuver. And the promised Ukrainian counteroffensive if it has, in fact, started, it's, it, it's profoundly lackluster. It, it, it's mildly amusing at best. It's not achieving any worthwhile gains at all. And, shockingly, sadly, they couldn't even capitalize on the development of a potential, or as it was reported to us, as it was portrayed to us, a potential coup against Russia, against Putin's regime whether it was actually a coup or not. Funny, it was resolved well within 24 hours of starting. So this is one of the quickest coup attempts resolved with such little bloodshed that that I've ever read about or witnessed. And so we have that development since the start of the conflict, the war, if you want to call it that. This mercenary entity called the Wagner Group, or the Wagner Group, led by Evgeny Progozhin. Well, they've been committing a lot of atrocities, as you would expect from a mercenary group. It would appear that there's been quite a bit of consternation between Progozhin and uh, the leading general officers in charge of this Russian campaign. Some reports are that the Wagner Group was even targeted and attacked by Russian Air Force, and that they've not been receiving the arms and the support that they should be getting. So, and, and I, w- I would caution everyone, we just don't have the details, but it would appear that an element of the Wagner Group with Prigozhin uh, did a 180, took off towards Moscow, and heading towards Moscow, of course, NATO and the west hailed this as some great coup attempt, but uh, it fizzled out uh, well before 24 hours had passed uh, with with very, very little bloodshed, if any, on the ground. And suddenly we, we read that there is a, a deal where Prigozhin is able to go into exile in neighboring Belarus. Belarus, a Russian ally neighboring Russia there, and also a neighboring state to Ukraine, to the north. Prigozhin is able to go into Belarus in exile. All charges dropped, all potential charges dropped uh, for his troops, for his mercenary soldiers. They're able to uh, enlist in the Russian military now and won't face charges. Everything just cleanly, <clears throat> cleanly resolved within 24 hours. Well, I find that highly sketch at best and I'm not inclined to believe initial reports coming out of the uh, media sources. Given Russia's recent history of poisoning enemies of the state, it occurred in London and it occurred in other areas, um, I just don't know that if I were Prigozhin uh, that I'd be comfortable going into exile in a neighboring state and an ally of Russia. Uh, to go retire and live the rest of my life. I think that would be very dangerous. That, would, that, that To me, that would be something like um, accepting a, a fully paid apartment and utilities paid uh, right next door to Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, I, you couldn't sleep at night. This doesn't seem like it would be a very smart move. Uh, so either Prigozhin is not that smart and really just doesn't understand what Putin has done in the past with enemies of the state, or things aren't what they seem, and he's going into Belarus and that there's a, a different plan in place. Matter of fact, the Belarus president, Lukashenko, he just said that uh, they could have a use for a Wagner group in Belarus. Interesting comment he made in a press report there. And yes, this is the same Russian allied state that has tactical nukes, Russian tactical nukes, staged on their soil. But even with this so-called coup in execution, sadly, Ukraine was unable to take advantage of this development, maybe press the attack or kickstart their counteroffensive to take advantage of maybe confusion or turmoil that the Russian state or Russian forces may may have been experiencing, were this a real coup attempt. In a recent article by Dave DeCamp, he quotes a New York Times article that reports an unnamed senior Biden administration official who said Ukraine's struggles in its counteroffensive have been sobering for the US. They're behind schedule, the, the official said. But uh, not really sure why this is sobering to anyone in the Biden administration, the military advisors, the generals advising Biden on how this thing is supposed to go or what, what supposed timeline this counteroffensive is supposed to follow. War is very difficult to project out and to place on a, a, a timeline, of course, none of the general officers today uh, have a clue of this after 20 years uh, of a timeline of occupying Iraq and Afghanistan, resulting in failure in both of those campaigns. What do senior general officers advising the president or secretary of defense, what of value can they possibly offer him? Uh, they're, they're not experts in waging or winning wars of any type, and so, of course... Uh, Washington is going to be sobered up by the fact that Ukraine will be mystified. The fact that Ukraine hasn't been able to make gains in their counteroffensive. Not shocking at all. So, what do you do in light of a stalled, flaccid counteroffensive? Well, of, of course you do the same thing that our military does, that our nation has done in recent years. Uh, going back to the Vietnam War, you throw more money at it. Biden just announced another $500 million in aid to Ukraine. 50 more armored vehicles, uh, vehicles such as Bradley's Strikers, um, air defense missiles, javelins, Patriots. Uh, a nice little half a billion dollar aid package uh, to be sent to Ukraine. Maybe that will be just the thing to kickstart this this counteroffensive and finally achieve victory. But while we're on the topic of this half billion dollars more going to Ukraine, uh, let's pop the hood and look at the national debt. Let's see where we're at now. That would be $32.12 trillion. $32.12 trillion. The debt per citizen, that would be $95,884. But if you're a taxpayer, Far fewer taxpayers and citizens in this nation. If you're a taxpayer, your portion of the national debt is now $249,951. And so while that number continues to rise and grow, let's just continue to throw more money, more finances, more taxpayer wealth at Ukraine And we're going to give this wonderful package of taxpayer money, taxpayer-funded war material to Ukraine, even while the president is in the midst of this incredible firestorm that just won't go away because more keeps surfacing. And I'm talking about these alleged bribes that he and his son took from Ukraine. Uh, Burisma, the energy company in Ukraine. Five million apiece, father and son both get to profit from this. But now messages revealed from Hunter Biden, messages where he's speaking with a CCP linked Chinese business entity, the Chinese Communist Party. While his father, the vice president, was in the room at the time. And you've you've seen this in the news. There's also an email thread related to this Chinese Communist Party business operative, discussing the percent stakes father and son were both going to get from CEFC China Energy. Further popping in the news as well, evidence that Joe Biden had an AT&T cell phone, not a personal phone, not a secure government phone, but a third phone paid for, by Hunter Biden's Rosemont Seneca Business Front Group. I gotta tell you, if I were the IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley, I'd be a little concerned for my welfare right now. I'd be a little concerned about my safety right now. Shapley just recently told CBS News in a televised interview that Hunter Biden expensed prostitutes, a sex club membership, and hotel rooms for drug dealers. So this is the ethical, moral, constitutional commander-in-chief that officers of today's military are committed to serve. And and i got to tell you, there are so many incredible, selfless, honorably-intentioned officers and enlisted NCOs and enlisted folks, soldiers, Marines, airmen, that are serving now, that it just kills me to see them serving under someone with such incredibly despicable clouds. Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, I don't care what party you are. If if, if your candidate, if your president is taking bribes from foreign nations, that, that just has to be completely unacceptable and it doesn't matter if this is someone you otherwise ideologically embrace there is no possibility for rationalizing that this is right and proper that this is acceptable with any federal or state official let alone the president of the united states and the commander in chief in time of war this is why bitcoin is related to war bitcoin is related to these issues of politics because we cannot trust the politicians in the highest places these folks who become career politicians and then become fabulously ultra wealthy and we don't pursue why that is why Do these politicians become so staggeringly wealthy? Being public so-called servants. Public servants. Brazenly pulling the wool over all of our eyes and we just take it and we just permit it to continue to go on. We permit the ruse to continue Folks themselves are willing to be bought and paid for. Austin and Millie, completely bought and paid for. Zealously going on a witch hunt within the military ranks, looking for domestic threats within the military. When, where is the domestic threat? Where is the the domestic threat? The domestic threat to our constitution. Where is it? Within the ranks? You know, the results of their massively expensive witch hunt within the military yielded the the tiniest percentage of folks even possibly connected to what could be considered extremist groups. Nothing there at all. So blind, so myopic, so willingly blind and obsequious lap dogs. But Bitcoin is germane to this because it's the one thing that's untouchable by these politicians who cannot be trusted. It's outside of the system. See, within the sus system, we're to trust them. We have to posit blind trust in them. Trust that they have our best interests at heart. Trust that they're trying to do the right thing for the nation, for the military. Trust that the Federal Reserve, that the Treasury, are working hard for the American people. Trust. But no proof. No proof, just trust. And then we see the aftermath of what they're really doing. Bitcoin is the exact opposite of that. There is no trust with Bitcoin. Everything is transparent and laid out for all public nodes to see, for anyone running the Bitcoin network to see what's going on, to see the ledger of all transactions that are occurring and that have occurred since the beginning of the Genesis block. Full transparency. No trust. More on that in a minute. So back to Ukraine. Of course, the latest reports or that Ukraine's inability to launch a successful counteroffensive are NATO's fault. Maybe you've seen that. It's, it's NATO's fault. NATO failed to cough up everything that the Ukrainian comedian-turned-dictator requested and on the timelines he demanded. For example, let's go to uh, some of the headlines here. Here's an article by Chris Panella. In Business Insider the headline is NATO hesitated when Ukraine begged for weapons. Now their counteroffensive against Russia is hitting snags analysts say. Uh, a subheadline here says that hesitation around providing Ukraine with certain weapons may have prolonged the war. And so you see how they're spinning this now. See it's NATO's problem. Uh, we've all hesitated all the NATO countries Drug their, drug their heels and so the conclusion apparently the way out of this is shame on us whatever the comedian turned dictator requires give until it hurts and give it quickly keep that war machine humming and profiting now okay is it fair why am I calling him dictator why am I calling uh, Zelensky a dictator well in the news just yesterday Zelensky announced that he is suspending elections while this very, very, very slow-moving World War I characteristic war of attrition grinds on. You see, this is what happens in war. In war, democracy is put on pause. As Tucker Carlson pointed out in his latest Twitter show, the Ukrainians need to wait until their war is won and then democracy can resume and then elections can resume until that time zelensky's going to call the shots he's going to stay the ukrainian commander in chief and the president and there will be no elections see this is this is what we're supporting them for 5 500 million dollars half a billion dollars to support him. Just throw more money at the problem, throw more weapons at the problem, and surely uh, they'll start making progress. Well, what else does Zelensky do? Just last month he, he threw Gonzalo Lira in prison, a reporter who had been writing criticisms of the Ukrainian regime. And so not only will there not be elections, but if you critique the Ukrainian prison if you critique the Ukrainian government at this time thrown in prison with no timeline for a trial or etc uh, very very western of him very democratic of him very benevolent freedom loving but of course in times of crisis well you know the leaders do whatever we need to do in times of a covid crisis We'll we'll take whatever authoritarian measures we need to take. We'll we'll put any rules or restrictions or bans or limitations that we deem necessary. After 9-11, we'll make it legal to spy on our own people. And so this concept of trust is at the very heart of this issue of Bitcoin. And if you're a Bitcoiner, or if you're interested in Bitcoin or curious about it, I'd ask you to consider this issue of trust. Our last national elections were cause of profound, extremely vitriolic anger, frustration, disillusionment, highly suspicious activity, late-night reversals of counts, just so much frustration and anger in this nation. And I'm, I'm not making a, a judgment call on whether they were justified or not. The point I want to make is is that trust is at the core of this. And what do I mean by that? Why would anyone in this nation in any way have grounds to doubt the election results. If elections were entirely public and transparent, I'm talking the data and the details, if they were completely, entirely transparent, there would be zero ground for anger. The fact is, election results, ballots, the counting, is anything but transparent. In other words, we have to posit trust in the system nationwide. We just have to grant sight unseen trust. See, this is the opposite of what Bitcoin does. The concept of Bitcoin is is that nothing can be trusted and no people can be trusted. The Bitcoin network is established the blockchain is established such that it's a fully transparent digital ledger that anyone running the Bitcoin software can look and see any transaction that's occurring or has ever occurred since the beginning of Bitcoin and all of this is transparent and affirmed in daily viewed by all of the computers worldwide running the Bitcoin software. We call those computers nodes. And so no trust is involved because you can see the reality of the transactions that are occurring. And so no trust is needed. Therefore, you cannot debate it. You can't change the data. It's unchangeable unbribable. You can't backdate it. You can't frontdate it. You're not relying on a third party and just trusting them for integrity of ledger entries. But this is what you do with voting in our nation. You have to just trust the system. But don't we have ample evidence that our politicians cannot be trusted? I mean, if you're logical, if you look at history, if you read the headlines, if, if, if you're semi-conscious year after year and just skim the headlines, do you not have ample examples year after year, a colossal myriad of examples where our government and our officials cannot be trusted to do the right thing? When it comes to our national elections, just trust us. There's no voter fraud. Trust us. There's no tampering of voting machines. Just trust us. Trust the technology. If you doubt it at all, that's conspiracy theory. Just trust us. No, we should absolutely not trust. And, it's, it, and the saying should not be trust but verify. No, it should be trust based upon real verification. Live verification. That's the basis of trust. You see, everyone who's ever cheated on his wife wants his wife to trust him. Trust me, honey, I'm not having an affair. Trust me, I was just out with the boys. Trust me, I just had to work late at night. Just trust me. When they're not doing the right thing, you see. Let's compare this to Bitcoin. When it comes to the ledger of transactions, the Bitcoin blockchain. There is full transparency. But what does that look like? It's complete transparency of transactions that are occurring. The creation of Bitcoin, the transactions of Bitcoin, the ownership of Bitcoin. Everyone, every node, every computer can see everything that's occurring in the Bitcoin network. However, The individual users are anonymous. You're not identified by name, by social security number. You're anonymous. You have your privacy in the Bitcoin network. This is the exact opposite of our financial system. Our financial system with the Treasury, with the Fed, with our banks. In this case, there's complete secrecy and obscuration. There's no transparency. You don't see all the transactions that are occurring. You don't see all the decisions that are made behind closed doors. You don't see the decisions that are made in advance by the elites that determine how many dollars are going to be created out of thin air this year or this month. You're not privy to any of that. That all gets decided in obscurity. However, all of your personal details, now that's what's transparent. All of the agencies have your personal data and are tracking everything that you're doing on the network. They have full transparency and access to what you're doing. You have no privacy in that regard. It's the exact opposite with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a trustless system. Furthermore, when we move to a central bank digital currency, things are going to get much, much worse for your privacy. Everything will be tracked. Everything will be monitored. It's already happening now, but more so then, and they will have more control over what you're able to do with your finances. It's going to get infinitely worse. So back to voting we could take all of the anger and the frustration and the doubt and the cynicism out of voting we could have election integrity if we use a blockchain voting and the blockchain technology can be used in his, there's already systems and protocols out there already existing now for voting using blockchain with blockchain technology There is zero duplication of votes. There's immediate tallying of votes. So we would have election results immediately. There would be no way to post-date results or forward-date them or manipulate the data. The integrity of voting would be beyond criticism. Again, our current system of voting requires trust. Boxes of paper ballots and recounting them in the middle of the night and limited access to watch and to monitor and to audit the counting of ballots. No, that just requires blind trust that what's going on is above board. Dominion voting machines or other such electronic voting machines requires blind trust that there's no back doors and ability to change votes, to change ballots, to change the tallying. Blind trust. Because you can't verify it. These are things I do not trust and neither should you. But blockchain technology would be 100% transparent. Just as the Bitcoin blockchain protocol is 100% verifiable public transparent Now there's only a couple reasons that I can think of where folks would not want that to happen with her voting. Who what logically minded, rationally minded, honest person would have a problem with transparent, verifiable elections? where the actual content, the data, could be in real-time witnessed, and validated, and confirmed. You know the answer to that. Why would anyone want to be a party to corrupt elections? Blockchain voting would provide a time-stamped, unmodifiable record of votes cast... Posted to a public ledger without the use of any trusted third party. Election integrity would be inviolate. In fact, you can't be a Bitcoin enthusiast, a Bitcoin embracer, a maxi, and at the same time not want to pursue and fully embrace blockchain voting. You can't can't do it and be consistent. The thing that draws you to Bitcoin in the financial aspect, in the store of wealth aspect, in the monetary aspect, is its transparency. It's a trustless system. If you want to also extend that into the realm of voting and governance, then you're wildly inconsistent. To vilify central banking and the obscurity and the secrecy and the manipulation of the Fed and And the the Treasury to vilify central bank digital currencies and the issues that are going to come up from that as a result of lack of transparency and the, the requirement to trust the system. And at the same time, to not want that in the realm of voting would just completely indicate inconsistency of character. Maxis, orange pill enthusiasts, Bitcoiners, in other words, are so zealous about not being forced to use money that steals from us. Likewise, in that same spirit, in that same vein, we should never want to engage in voting protocols that steal from the voter, that steal from the citizenry. Where elections are a sham, where they're not verifiable, where they're stolen, where they're manipulated like the currency. You can't have one and not the other and be a consistent individual and be an actual, true maxi. You are a false, subjective, exploitative maxi. If you want to just go into the the shopping store and and just pick off the shelf which areas of your life um, suit you and which don't suit you to apply these principles to. We need to all have consistency of character and values in ethics and morality. Bitcoin And the Bitcoin protocol, the blockchain technology undergirding it, allows us to opt out of the current financial fiat trash monetary system and truly protect our wealth. Likewise, blockchain technology could allow us to opt out of the very corrupt and unverifiable system and protocol of elections that we have right now to give cause to so much anger and frustration. RFK has recently come out um, embracing Bitcoin and he's coming out with a very powerful message and clashing with the with the parties, with the Democratic Party clashing with the career politicians of the Republican Party. RFK, is he gonna get a fair shake in the elections? Is he going to get a fair shake from the Democratic Party? Well, if we employed blockchain technology in our voting, he could at least know that he gave it a shot and we could see where the results lie and the will of the people could be known. But it's wildly doubtful that he could get any kind of a fair shake with the current voting system that we have now. And so I leave you with this concept of blockchain voting. And as I wrap up today, I would also like to inform you that also on the Blockchain Podcast, if you look at the episodes uh, that I recently posted, chapter one of my ongoing sci-fi futuristic novels, which I'm calling right now the Bitcoin Wars. I might decide to change it to the the Nakamoto insurgency. But right now I'm calling it the Bitcoin Wars. And I would encourage you to have a listen. The first chapter is not very long. But it gives you a glimpse, it gives you an idea, expressed through literature, of what the future could look like or elements of the future could look like if we don't take ownership of our Bitcoin keys, if we don't take ownership of of the health of the state of our nation and things just continue on the tangent that they are now and so I would encourage you again to have a listen to the Bitcoin Wars chapter 1 death of Darius and so once again I appreciate your time spent here with me on the blockchain podcast and I will be back again shortly protect your keys